It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pope edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each and every week, we talk of sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment and a segment where you can ask me any question on any topic. Go to the Twitters and hit up hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick compiles them. You ask them. I answer them to the best of my ability. It does not have to be on sports. It can be literally on any topic. As always, we're presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. It's playoff time in the NFL. College basketball conference actions heating up. We had one of the worst national championship games in football of all time. So we've got a lot of ground to cover, Rick. Oh, we've got a lot of good stuff to get to, Skinny. But we'll start with that Bengals win on Sunday. We talked about it. After the game, Bengals win 27-16 over the Ravens. You can check out that recap podcast on the same feed you're listening to this one on. And the Bengals will play the Ravens again this week on Sunday Night Football in the wild card round of the playoffs. So, Skinny, we'll start with, how much do you take from the Bengals' first two games against the Ravens when trying to make a prediction on this one? Funny part is, honestly, not much because in the first game, it was Lamar Jackson leading that game-winning drive down the field. It's trending towards Lamar not playing, so that, that's a major factor, obviously, in this game. And then Sunday, um, I, I, you know, talking to Brian Callahan Monday, and I wrote about it in my Tuesday takeaways, you know, I, I know everybody was wringing their hands about the offense's struggles after the first couple of drives. I think, as Brian pointed out, and I kind of led him into the answer a little bit, but I think it's multifold. Um, you know, let's not forget, the Ravens played all their starters other than Marcus Peters on defense, and that's a great defense. And I would invite people, I, I did it as one of my uh, five storylines, the impact of Roquan Smith on that defense and how much better a good defense got to the point where it's pretty much elite. So while it did look frustrating, it did look ugly at times, one of the factors was that's a good defense and you're, you're not scoring 30-something points against them. The other factor, and Brian alluded to it, I think we talked about it too, is you you didn't unload the, the whole bank of playbook stuff. You kind of held some stuff back and understandably so when you had that game somewhat in control uh and, and that that's the right thing to do because it was trending at that point as brian said that we were going to face them uh, again in in the playoff round so you're not going to divulge everything you've got um and neither did the ravens i mean the ravens played pretty simplistic on defense but it's a really good defense that can play simple and i do think the other part too is and he said it and joe said it after the game joe burrow wasn't very sharp on sunday he missed um, you know, Jamar Chase deep down the field when he underthrew him, he threw that goofy pass to two wide open receivers, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, and threw it in between them. And Brian even said when he threw that, I was kind of like, what was that? And he said, then you forget sometimes he's human and he can have a bad throw or two, two you know, as well. You just, he, he's so good, you don't think of it ever happening, but it does happen. So I think all those factors, so that's where I go back to, Rick, I, I just don't know what you take away from either one of those games. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, the second one, I think there's almost nothing you can take away from it, especially with the way the Ravens approached it more than anything. Right. And then the first one, like you said, I mean, when you've got a completely different quarterback back there, assuming, I mean, we assume Lamar Jackson isn't going to play this week based on the fact that he hasn't practiced yet. It, it, it's just hard to really take that game, take much from any game where you're changing quarterbacks in the NFL because that's such a big part of it. And especially a guy like Lamar Jackson who you kind of cater everything you do to the type of player he is. So, yeah, I think there's very little you can take from those first two games. We're talking about Lamar Jackson and their quarterback situation. What is the latest there? Because there's been talk of Lamar Jackson not practicing. He's not going to play. There's been talk about where's Tyler Huntley and in, in his progression and getting back. Is it is it possible that, you know, you're looking at Anthony Brown starting again? 
it is possible. A, B, I do think it's going to end up being being uh, Tyler Huntley. Um, he did practice limited on Wednesday. There were reports from Ravens reporters on the period of practice that was open that he did not throw. He's got tendonitis in his right shoulder. He's got a right wrist injury. Um, we did see him on Sunday, uh, Rick, out about two hours before kickoff, just uh, just throwing the ball with a look like a member of the coaching staff or maybe a uh, you know equipment manager or somebody it wasn't wasn't another player. Look like he was trying to test some things, and and at that point, that was about thirty minutes before inactives, and the inactive list came out, and they they made him inactive. I, I think one of the reasons they did that is a he is bothered by that shoulder, he is bothered by the wrist, but I also think they knew in their heart of hearts Lamar wasn't coming back this week, and they wanted to make sure they could get another week of of healing um, for Tyler Huntley. But again, he did not throw. On Wednesday, he did participate. He was limited, so it means he went through. I'm going to guess some things as far as running play. So I do think he winds up starting, but it won't be shocking at all to see Anthony Brown. It, it sounds like Lamar Jackson isn't going to play, right. but j- just as a, a general thought experiment, who would you rather play, Tyler Huntley or Lamar Jackson at this uh, point? Oh my gosh, Tyler Huntley! I, I, it, look, I, I get the whole Lamar Rusty, and you know if it if it is really a knee that's you know serious enough to keep him out, and I think there's also the thought that he's been making a business decision here because of uh, you know his impending free agency. Um, you know maybe he is limited as a runner, but man, go look at go look at Snoop Huntley's pass. He's just not a very good passer, and and he's the, he's not a very good passer with a bad shoulder. That's that's not a great combination. I agree, and I think the big thing. You know, as much as people want to point out that, well, Lamar Jackson comes back, he's been sitting out so long, he might not be himself. Yeah, that's great. But the thing is, I don't really worry about the Ravens offense all that much in this game. I worry about the Ravens defense keeping it close. Right. And the issue with Lamar Jackson being in the game, if it's close late, is he has that wow factor to him. He can make that one spectacular play. Yeah, he did that in the first meeting. Remember, a lot of that that game winning drive was him running the football. Exactly. And th- and that's why you'd much rather play. I mean, for other reasons, too. Tyler Huntley isn't as talented, but if nothing else, it, even if we're saying Tyler Huntley is going to be sharper and, and Lamar Jackson is going to have some rust if, if he comes back, you still want Lamar. You will still want to play Tyler Huntley over Lamar Jackson because of the what if factor of, of Lamar Jackson making those spectacular plays. Yeah, no question. And it may be he doesn't have 15 spectacular plays in, in, in that leg. He's got three and that's all it maybe takes is three, but where the trend is, defense. I mean, yeah. And that, yeah. The, and the trend it seems like is it's, I mean, John Harbaugh talked about, he needs to see him practice and understandably. So well now Wednesday's gone by now you're to Thursday. If he doesn't practice on third, we're doing this on Thursday morning, obviously. Um, you know, if he doesn't practice on Thursday, then all you got left is a walkthrough. I can't imagine he plays, after a walkthrough, but I guess it, it's it's in the realm of possibility, but I it doesn't seem very likely at all. Skinny, go to the Bengals side for a second. There were some injury concerns coming out of Sunday's game. What's the latest on the Bengals injury updates? It, it, it's the it's what we already knew that Alex Kappa was was likely not going to play, and, and Zach Taylor basically ruled him out on Wednesday with that ankle injury. We saw him at practice sitting on one of those scooters with his uh, left. Uh, left ankle, left foot, I guess, if you will, left leg with a walking boot on it. Um, so Max Sharping will start in his place. And other than that, you know, there, there was the rumblings of a hip pointer with T. Higgins. Now, T. did not practice on Wednesday, but he, the, the hip was never listed. Um, he was sick. And uh, Zach said it kind of cropped up the day the day before. So they're hoping to get him back to practice on Thursday uh, off the illness. But I, I guess the good part there is it doesn't sound like the, the hip has anything to do with it. So really, it's it's 
a fairly healthy team. You know, I talked to Sam Hubbard yesterday and, and again brought up the whole fact of, you know, 10 of the guys that are going to start in this game are the guys that started in the playoffs for you last season on defense. And basically on offense, um, you know, you've got most of your starters. You have nine of the guys who started the season um, on offense, nine of the 11 starting. Now, there are two big absences, Lael Collins and, and Alex Kappa. But, you know, for an NFL team at this stage, and you're going to have 19 or 22, that's a pretty good number, especially when one of those 19 is number nine. No doubt. One last question about this, Skinny. What do you make of this back and forth between the Bengals and Ravens with the Bengals players saying the Ravens were taking cheap shots on Sunday and John Harbaugh coming back saying he watched the game back and thought it was all clean and and he's in the media kind of mouthing off. Do you think it adds anything to this game? Yeah, I, I do. I, I, I As much as, I, you know, that stuff to me, a lot of times I just roll my eyes at it. Right. I do because I think the Bengals players perceived that they were dirty. And um, whether they was always it, were. Was it dirty in your opinion? I, I thought there were a couple of plays that were, yes. Um, but not not every play. I thought there were a couple for sure that, that I thought were dirty. I thought, um, and I don't even know if this one was dirty. The one where, where Jason Pierre-Paul bumped into Jamar Chase in the end zone as he went to try to celebrate a pass breakup with Roquan Smith. I don't, I don't think he intentionally meant to bump Jamar Chase. I think he was going to celebrate with his teammate, but he did bump him. And it was it probably should have been flagged, to be quite frank. But, yeah, I, I, I did not perceive a ton of that. But, again, as Bengals players perceive it, you can imagine there's a little chip on their shoulder there. No doubt. All right, Skinny, anything else before we move on to the college basketball side of things? Yeah, no, I, I li- listen, I, I know there's there's hand-wringing about the offense and, again, the way it, it, it did operate after the first three series. Guys, it's going to be ugly at times because it's just a really good defense. I mean, it's honestly, I'd rank it one of the top two or three, if not the best defenses in the NFL. Joe Burrow may cook, and he may cook at times, but there's going to be times it's going to look ugly, and it's probably going to be a lot like this past Sunday if they win. And if they, listen, if you get out of the playoff game with a 27-16 win, I think you're going to take it. Just find a way at this time of the year. That's all it's about. Exactly. All right, let's move on to college basketball. We've got some good stuff on the college basketball front. And the big story right now is UK. We're going to get to them. But first, I want to talk about some of the other local teams and get through their games. Xavier has a huge win at Villanova, 88 to 80 over the weekend. It was the first time Xavier had won at Villanova since joining the Big East. And they turn around. They have a hard-fought win over Creighton, 90 to 87 on Wednesday night at the Centos Center. Skinny, this Xavier team has now extended its winning streak to ten games. I've talked; we've talked about it for a while. I think it's they're, they're, they've got every part you need. Um, they just aren't very deep, and they've kind of adjusted to understanding what they are. It's a seven-man team, basically, and they get through it with that. And the thing is, they, they just can attack you from so many ways. We've seen Sule Boom have an off night, and they win. We've seen um, Zach Fremantle have less than double digits, which he had against Creighton, and then Sule Boom goes off, and they win. We've seen Colby Jones take over at times. We've seen Jack Nungy take over at times. You've, you've gotten great comp, uh, great. Uh, production off the bench from from uh, Jerome Hunter at this this point. I mean, th- this is a pretty complete team. It doesn't guard great as we talked about, um, but boy, Ken Ken Palm going into yesterday, I think they were seventh in the nation in offense, and so it's an elite offense now, and you can look at it as such. Uh, the Creighton game was just insanely great, fun great to game. watch. Great, great, great game. Yes, the first ten minutes of it, the two teams combined for fifty two points. Yeah, I, I, I had a buddy of mine that actually he called me during the day. He's a Xavier season ticket holder, and he said, is this total in that game right, 152? I said, I looked at it this morning. It's 152. I said, it's going to soar over. So I texted him because he was at the game at the first media timeout. I said, 
on a pretty good pace, he goes, don't jinx it. There was no <laughs> chance of jinxing that, man. They were going no. way over. No, those teams had no interest in slowing down in terms of the scoring. It was an it was a gift of a line, 151, first of all. But you get to the first through the first 10 minutes and you're at 52 points. I mean, you're on pace for over 200 points. Right, right. And these teams were shooting 60% from the field. They were averaging like 1.5 points per possession each, if not more. It was just an insane start to the basketball game. And, and granted, sure, the defense wasn't great on either side. But by the way, go look at Creighton's metrics. They're a good defensive team. So it's not like they can't play defense. Xavier struggled, obviously, throughout the course of the year. But the defense was not good. But it was so good offensively that it's like, I don't know who would have looked good defensively if they were in that game with that type of pace and those guys making shots the way they were. It was two teams that have multiple weapons that were really well coached and they were just trading blows. I mean, they were just executing and cutting each other with precision on the offensive end. It was, it was a lot of fun to watch, but skinny, my takeaway from the game, interestingly was kind of that I'm worrying less and less about Xavier's defensive issues as this winning streak goes on. And it's, it may seem kind of obvious. It's like, well, yeah, they're winning games regardless of the defense. So sure. You're not as worried about it, but part of me too wonders if, especially when you watch a game like that one against Creighton, it's almost like this team lulls other teams into, yeah, let's trade baskets. Let's play fast. Let's play carefree. Let's move it up and down the court. And then all of a sudden at the end of the game, when it tightens up a bit and and you got to focus in and make a few plays, make your free throws, take care of the ball, those types of things, Xavier seems to be able to come up with those plays when the game gets a little tighter and their opponents haven't been able to do that. Now, it's a complete 180 from last year, and maybe at some point that stops happening for Xavier. Maybe their luck runs out or something. I don't but think so. I don't I'll think tell so you either. Why. They're I'll, so I'll tell you precise, why and Sule Boom is so good in those end-of-game situations that – I'm just worrying less and less about their defensive issues. Yeah, I think I think you just hit on. It. I think I think I, you know Sule Boom can take over into games. Colby Jones is, Jones is capable of it. And you say that knowing last year he didn't do that at times. Well, he was the only one that was kind of being asked to do that at times. Now he's kind of the secondary. Hey, shot clock's winding down. Now go make us a play. But usually it's Sule Boom making those plays. And now you got two of those guys like that. And if you need to, oh by the way, let's play through the post. And so I just think you got a lot of you know, inside the final two-minute options to go with, mm-hmm. led by a point guard who can go score on top of it. Yeah. No, that, that, I mean, that's that's a really good point. And Sule being able to shoulder some of the load offensively allows Colby to do what he did last night, which is lock up Baylor Shireman in the final minute when Creighton has it at a two-point game and you've got to get one stop to basically win it. All of a sudden, Colby Jones does turn into that takeover lockdown defender and, and win the game for you with a defensive stop. So it's like, yeah, they're they're not good defensively and you'd like to see them be better throughout the course of the game, but they have shown the ability to get some stops with the game on the line when it matters. And they do have a go-to lockdown type defender in Colby Jones who can guard a wing, a forward, a, a point guard, can guard almost anything other than maybe a center. And in those situations, you're not as worried about that. So uh, it it is interesting that as much as, I've crushed this team for their lack of defense over the course of the year. It is becoming less and less of a concern as you go on. I'm going to echo something Sean Miller said after the game last night, and it really does bear bringing back up, is is the fact that Sully Boom plays 39 minutes, does what he does from a scoring perspective, but has eight assists 
and zero turnovers. And on the surface, you go, yeah, okay, you know, good point guards can get out of games with zero turnovers. But the point that Shaw made was at the pace they were playing at to go 39 minutes without turning the ball over is just, it's phenomenal. It's crazy. And granted, there was the play at the end of the game where, you know, they threw the ball at him in the corner and he kind of fumbled it and lost it. And a lot of people thought that may should have been a turnover on him, which, you know, whatever. If, if you want to think that, that's fine. But even, even if he had eight assists and one turnover in a game like that, it's just crazy, especially with the amount of plays that he's making and some of the tough shots that he hit at the end of the game. He's just been fantastic. And I mean, he's leading the Big East in scoring now at 17.7 points per game. He surpassed Adam Sonoga, Adam Sonoga. Sonogo last night uh, when Sonogo only had 10 in the loss at Marquette. So, I mean, he's really making a case right now for Big East player of the year, potentially an All-American. I mean, he's having an incredible season. Yeah, no, I I would say he's in that conversation for sure. What One final point from that game. You know, Creighton sits at nine and eight and, and, you know, that puts them kind of in danger of maybe not making it. I do think they will make it. They're going to probably make it at like 17 and 12. They're going to wind up being probably a nine or a 10 seed. I don't think a one or a two seed wants to face them in the second round of the NCAA tournament. That's a really good point. They are going to be terrifying. Now, McDermott has not done much of anything in the NCAA tournament over his course, Correct. over the course yeah. of his career at Creighton. So uh, they've got to overcome that. But you're absolutely right that they are going to be a terrifying lower seed. All right, let's go on to Cincinnati, Skinny. Cincinnati had a big win against Wichita State since we last talked. They won 70 to 61 at Wichita State. They turn around, they get hammered at home against Houston, 72-59, and then they bounce right back and get uh, an impressive win at home over East Carolina, 83-55. And I say impressive not because East Carolina is good, but impressive just because they completely dominated that game and shot the absolute lights out. Yeah, and and I think it shows that you know, the, the one game that you can still look back on and go scratch your head is the, is the loss at Temple. But again, any time on the road in conference is, is difficult. Um, but but listen, again, this league, you, you just don't face a lot of very good opponents. And so I think UC is above the fray of of the middle of the pack of the league and might even still be the third or fourth best team in the conference. But what is that going to get you at the end of the day? Well, but that's a, a major difference from at least where I was at with this team, maybe even a week and certainly two weeks ago. Uh, I mean, after that Temple loss, you're starting to wonder how bad could things get for this? Well, and yeah, and and you're right, because they did go to Wichita after that to win. You knew the Houston game, even if you played well, was going to be a loss. And honestly, I mean, they did play pretty decently in that game. Um, So they've really kind of followed up Temple with a a road win at Wichita. The pounding of East Carolina last night, a loss you kind of expected at home to Houston that didn't blow you out of your building. They did win by double digits, but, you know, they can make a lot of people look really ugly. And, you know, you look in the league and it's just – there's just not a lot of tough opponents. You're going to wind up probably winning 20 games, but it's what's it going to get you at the end of the day? Well, yeah, I, I don't think they have much of a resume to speak of in terms of an NCAA tournament bid, but there are there are positive signs to start pointing to, and the biggest one I think is the way they're shooting the ball from the outside. I mean, they were 14 of 26 from three against East Carolina. It's like, well, okay, East Carolina isn't any good, but really the last three games, even the Houston game, they shot it pretty well. They shot very well against Wichita State. And the two guys that have been pretty consistent over the the course of those games shooting is Landers Nolly, who's shooting like 44% from three right now. He's been excellent. And then Jeremiah Davenport, who, you know, a few weeks ago, you're talking about 
can they even play this guy anymore? He's shooting him out of games. He's really struggling. Uh, he doesn't seem to understand his role. And then all of a sudden he has a great week like this where he becomes well, one he, of their leading scorers again and, and shoots very well. It, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing for them going forward. Well, he, well, he didn't shoot it well against Houston. He was 0 for 7, but the two wins, he did shoot it extremely well. And they changed his role to bring him off the bench. They started the two bigs. And I think that was a good move. I think one, one of the things Wes Miller did was was try to get some level of scoring punch off the bench. Let maybe Jeremiah Jeremiah relax into a game, or when he's in a game, you know, know the role is. He's maybe in to be a scorer, as opposed to it. Just never felt like he knew what role he fit in with Landers and 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 DeJulius on the floor being the main scorers. I, I just I think it's whatever reason the, the the button that was pushed seems to be the right button for him and for this team because it gives them some level of scoring punch off the bench. Yeah, and and they need something. Josh Reed stepped off the bench and hit three threes in this game um, against East Carolina, which was good to see, but he and Daniel Skillings are still freshmen and, and yep. they're talented. And I think they can give them something, but you're right that but not consistently. Exactly. It'd be nice to have some type of consistent punch off the bench. And then maybe, you know, you get, you get that play out of Jeremiah Davenport, you get a three or two out of the freshmen and all of a sudden you're, you're getting a little bit of pop off of your bench there. And, and that gives you some help, but it, it I would say this was nothing but positives for UC this past week. I mean, would would you like to steal a game against against Houston at home? Sure, that would have been incredible. But they are back on track here, it seems like. And, and at least offensively, the way they're shooting the ball right now, it gives you some hope if you're a UC fan that, that there is some upside for this team and, and things can keep getting better. Yeah, and I think the, I think the league allows you to do that because, again, you're not facing a, a week-in, week-out grind. All right, let's move on. NKU lost to Oakland on Friday night. Basically, Jalen Moore went off in this game at the end of it. NKU had played. They, they, they blew a lead. They blew They blew a good lead. Yeah, they, they had played lost. well all the way up until the, the final minutes, and then Jalen Moore just goes off. They foul him twice in the final minutes on three-point attempts. He made a couple of other threes, and they, they give a game away, and then they follow that up over the weekend uh, with a overtime win against Detroit where they needed a crazy buzzer beating three from Trayvon Faulkner to even force the overtime period. And they were able to pull it out. Skinny, what do you make of this NKU team at five and one now kind of two ugly games over the course of the weekend, but they, they end up one and one and, and they've remained tied for first place. Yeah. Disappointing to blow the lead, obviously. I mean, cause you were, you had the game in the bag in hand uh, against Oakland, but then, you know, you didn't have the what was me moment against Detroit when things got tough. It could have been a what was me moment. And then things really start to spiral out of control. Cause again, let's not forget what's coming up sooner rather than later, which is the back end of this conference schedule where they play, I think they leave home for two months and don't come back, it feels like. So, um, boy, if you'd have gotten swept at home over the weekend, um, suddenly you're, you're, you're fighting for probably a two or three seed in the, in the conference tournament as opposed to still being in the, in the hunt for the one seed. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of time left over the course of, of the season, and the way this has gone in the Horizon League it feels like there's going to be a lot of movement still because yes, yeah. Milwaukee was certainly not picked to be at the top of the conference. They're tied for first right now with NKU. Youngstown State was expected to be there. They're four and two. But then Cleveland State was not expected to be at the top. They're also four and two. Um, Oakland is talented, but who knows with them every year, they seem to combust towards the end of the year and end up towards the middle or bottom of the pack. And then Purdue Fort Wayne, who was picked to win the conferences, the conference this year is three and three. 
Robert Morris is one of the more talented teams at three and three. Wright State sitting at two and four. So it seems like there's still going to be a lot of movement. I don't think anyone's locked into anything yet. But to your point, when you look at NKU's schedule and they're going to play seven of eight on the road to end the season, it just puts so much more importance on these early home games that you have to win. And so while it stinks to give one away uh, against Oakland, you do point to at least NKU is sitting at five and one, at least they are tied for first in the conference right now. And there's nothing but upside for this team, really. I mean, when you factor in that Sam Vinson is, is shooting so much worse than he was a season really ago. Is. Yeah, I really mean, is. he's just really struggling from the field. He's shooting 35% from two point range, 21% from beyond the arc. Um, you, you factor in Trayvon Faulkner has had a rough start to the year in terms of his shooting, there are a lot of reasons for this NKU team you can point to and say, well, they really haven't played their best basketball yet. And with that in mind, it's like, well, they, they can still get better. And yet they're five and one in the conference already. So I think overall, it's a lot of positive vibes if you're following this NKU team right now. But you'd still like to see them start playing better with more consistency. Yeah, no question. And, and you know, listen, you can you can make up for that that home loss to Oakland by sweeping this weekend. Yeah, big opportunity. The, a big game tonight, really, uh, as we're recording this on Thursday. They will play Milwaukee for an opportunity to be all alone in first place at the top of the Horizon League. And then they'll play Green Bay on Saturday, and that will be a, a game that they should win, Green Bay, towards the bottom of the conference this year. They've really been been struggling overall. They sit right now at 2-15 and 15 overall and 1-5 and five in the conference. So we will see what happens there. But now... I want to talk about the big story that it's been big in this region, but it's been big across the entire country this week, Skinny. Kentucky is in shambles. They got absolutely embarrassed over the weekend against Alabama, 78 to 52, the final score. And then they turn around and in a game that they were favored by 19 and a half or 20 points, depending on what sports book you were looking at when the game tipped off, they lost to South Carolina, 71 to 68. Uh, there was a fan holding up a, a please leave for Texas sign to Coach Cal, and he gets kicked out of the arena. Things are starting to look bad there in Lexington, and they were already pretty bad, but now it's starting to get like, is this actually going to get to the point where something has to be done? Yeah, It felt like there was a little bit of a reprieve after the Louisville game. Last week, I, I kind of poo-pooed that win over LSU. It didn't do much for me. And you're right. And in, and in retrospect, I guess I was right. But it felt like there was a little reprieve, though, from those two games. But then to just go get handled at Alabama like you did um, and then to come back and not respond against the worst team in the conference in South Carolina has you wondering. I'm not even any longer wondering if this team makes the NCAA tournament. I'm honestly and I mean this sincerely. I'm honestly wondering if this team finishes over 500. Very reasonable. And I, I hate this term. People always throw out when a, a team starts to struggle and th or things aren't going well, did the coach lose the locker room? Like people were saying that about Xavier last year when they had their end of season collapse. But the difference between Xavier and what I'm seeing from UK right now is Xavier was competitive. They were in games. They couldn't find ways to win them. They didn't have discipline. They were missing a lot of things last year. And, and certainly they need to make the decision to move on. But I didn't ever get the sense that those guys had quit or that they weren't competing. This Kentucky team right now, what I saw in the Alabama game and what I saw in the South Carolina game, I'm not sure what you're supposed to say about that in terms of like sticking up for the team, the players or the coach, because 
quite honestly, it looked like everybody checked out. Well, let's start with the Alabama game. He benches Oscar Shibway for his for his poor performance defensively. Can't guard screen and roll. Um, then Oscar comes out after the South Carolina game and says he told Cal, put in some guys that want to fight, put in a walk-on. Don't tell me you haven't lost the locker room when you got that stuff going on. It was There was a point where C.J. Frederick had made a big shot and he was looking around for like someone to celebrate with, and it, like no one, no one on the team cared. They were just all doing their own thing in their own world, worried because they didn't get a shot, or you know they they had been playing well or what have you. I mean, it's just a team uh, that looks like what everyone always worried you you would have with the one and done system and and the transfer portal and all that stuff. Not saying Kentucky has been a huge transfer portal team, but it, it looks like a team of mercenaries that just doesn't care yes. all to be together. Well, I mean, you'd say that, Rick, but C.J. Frederick's a transfer. Antonio Reeves is a transfer. Oscar Shibway's a transfer. Severe Wheeler's sure. a transfer. I mean, they got a chunk of transfers. Yeah, I, I guess I was just saying more so. It's not like people have criticized Kentucky for being a no, uh, yeah, transfer yeah. spot like they were uh, musclemen at Nevada or something. No, it, it, it is a collection of individual talent that doesn't that, that hasn't come together as a team, and I think the clock's run out on that. I, I don't see how all of a sudden you say it's going to – I know you can go, well, there's a lot of season left. Yeah, there is. But what signs have you seen that this group is going to come together and play well? That's the thing. And some of it, too, is you got to point the finger. Honestly, I don't know what he does with substitutions. I don't know what earns guys minutes and what doesn't. I I honestly don't. And I I think that's the other part. I don't think the players do either. It, It would be frustrating if you were a player on this team right now, I think. Because I think you see a lot of things that don't make sense. Guys stay on the floor despite... Uh, seemingly doing a lot of things that you would think they're asked not to do or vice versa. And um, it, it, there doesn't seem to be much rhyme or reason to the substitution patterns. And like, you know, just talking to, to some people in basketball circles, like I think there's, there's some players on the team who think there are changes that need to be made, like severe Wheeler, maybe not playing point guard anymore. And case Wallace, I, I know he was, he was hurt the other night, but um, dealing with some back spasms, but him handling the point guard position full time. And there Cal just seems too stubborn to make certain moves. And, uh, you know, everybody always knows best. They always know more than the coach, despite the coach being there in practice every day. So I, I get, there's a lot of that going on right now, but I do think there's something to the fact of well, Cal gets kind of spiteful with the fans and with the feedback that he gets. And, and he doesn't want to acquiesce to those requests sometimes. Well, and I think you're at the stage in, in his tenure that the cachet is now gone. You know, you, you built up a lot of it, what you did for your first, you know, seven, eight, nine years and understandably so, but you know, at Kentucky, you're, you're being paid the money you're being paid to win big on a consistent basis. And and I've always been a pretty realistic person with this. I I'm a grad, as, as I've said on the pie, I've never been a Cal fan. I, I, I do think he's a mercenary, um, uh, and I think he's a carnival barker. And I've always thought that. Um, I, I will say this. It's awfully interesting that in in the day and age when he had World Wide West as his bag man, and now where everybody has a bag man because of NIL, the landscape has really changed. But neither here nor there. Um, you know, the, the cachet for him is gone because – Listen, you can have a one-off year. You can lose an early tournament game in a year. But this is starting to stack. You're talking about um, not winning a tournament game in 19. COVID sucked in 20 because that was a pretty good team, but it is what it is. They they didn't have a tournament. Then a losing season. Then St. Peter's. That's a lot of bad stuff stacking on top of each other. And now on top of all of that comes this slop you're watching. Uh, and and, and there, there's understandable hand-wringing over the coach because of that. 
I realize for Kentucky fans, none of this is fun right now. Like this stinks. But I have to say from an outsider's perspective, it's fascinating. It is an interesting storyline right now. I'm totally curious to see what happens next. And and if this Cal thing really comes to a head and and somehow they move on or he decides to move on or something. But part of what makes it interesting to me, Skinny, is normally when stuff like this comes up, coaches, other college coaches, don't talk about that and they, they think it's silly to be say, like when if there's a rumor that cal might be looking at texas normally coaches would be like he, he's not going anywhere that's ridiculous that's absurd those types of things right now you don't even have to reach out to coaches to ask them about what's going on with cal in kentucky they're talking to you about it like everyone the coaches are all a buzz about what's going on with this situation and what might happen so and i'll be i'll be let me be frank but if i'm texas why would, why would you want Cal? What's he done lately? In today's That's- day and age of landscape, what's he done lately to, to go pay him exorbitant money? Because you're going to have to pay for that buyout, too. Um, I, I guarantee you, Kentucky right now, Mitch Barnard's crossing his fingers going, please take him because I don't have the money to spend on the buyout. And and we're stuck with the guy until he leaves. Well, and that's the, the thing that everyone keeps bringing up is. And shame got- on Mitch Barnard for signing him that contract. $56 million buyout still on the books. I believe it is. I know it's in the fifties. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. Regardless, if you're talking right. about, let's go round number of 50. It's yeah, still too 50, much. Over $50 million is insane for, for a buyout. Uh, I don't know how anyone would, would really be able to pay that. Um, Kentucky's the one school that has the best chance of doing so, but it's still just an insane move to be paying that. I imagine you would have to come to some type of settlement. Um, if, if they were to part ways, it would have to be, both sides are green. Things have gotten so bad. Let's agree on some type of deal, some type of number that we're both comfortable with, and we'll part ways. Whether that means Cal wants to go to Texas, or it means he just wants to be done and UK wants to move on from him. But here's the thing that everyone keeps pointing to, aside from the buyout, Skinny. That recruiting class he has next year is insane. And I know it's like, well, he always has a good recruiting class. And that's true. And he hasn't been able to get these last few to, to get it done. But this next one is legitimately like the, the first cut, the, the worldwide West classes that you're referring to the first couple of classes he had, where you're legitimately getting the top, uh, a few of the top five players in the country, top 10 players in the country to where maybe this is different. I mean, it, it really is an insane recruiting class. How much do you think that plays into it? I do think it plays a lot into it. And that's, that's maybe where the line of demarcation comes is because of that class being supposedly so special that as long as this doesn't turn out just so disastrous that you're never going to recover from it, um, and it's possible that it could, but if, if that's the case, um, then you probably let him co. And maybe for him, he decides on his own, hey, listen, I want to coach through that class, see where the chips fall, and then we can discuss where we're going from here. Um, but, you know, the roster so wonky at the moment is is you know you better have a nine player recruiting class to make this thing work i i do think there's something to the portal rick and i think it's maybe maybe it's with cal i i don't know this because i'm not in his practices but maybe he is better with one and done guys guys that he can mold from the start into what he wants for a team to be and their roles to be as opposed to taking guys like a severe wheeler in theory, severe wheeler is a really good little point guard. He's, he can play for a lot of people in this country. He doesn't mesh with this group and, he, and it, it doesn't fit with, with, with what 
you know, they, they try to do. So, so maybe there is some truth to, you know, we all get all excited about, oh, you got a couple of shoes out of the transfer portal. Maybe, maybe that's not the way to go for him. Well, that's an interesting point too, because the key for him always with these young freshmen is he gets them to play defense by midway through the year. They are usually a very good defensive team. And that's always surprising to me because it's hard to get young guys to be very good defensively. But maybe the key is when you have elite talents who don't know anything and you're able to mold them like you're talking about and get them to play your system and your style, you can get them all playing hard enough and playing the right way defensively. And they all have enough talent. They end up being a good defensive team. But interestingly, to your point, the last few years, he's taken guys that are probably a little more set in their ways. They've already had some bad habits defensively. And part of it, too, is you're taking guys from lower levels that aren't as gifted. You're right. Don't have the physical tools defensively. So if they're not shooting well or they're not playing well, you're not getting points on offense. They really hurt you on the other end of the floor. And that's what you're seeing right now is Kentucky just can't get stops. They stay well, defensively. Yeah, it's funny because everybody keeps pointing to Cal in the offense and, and you know, he, he doesn't run anything and, you know, what he's running is antiquated. Go look at the Ken Palm numbers. Ken Palm numbers, and I'm going to put you on the spot, Rick. I'm going to talk while you look up Ken Palm, if you don't mind. I looked at this, I think, right after the South Carolina game the day after. I think Kentucky was in the 20s in offensive efficiency and maybe 90th in defense. They're still sitting at 20 right now in offensive efficiency, okay, even yeah, after okay. those last two games. Yeah, and, and they're 92nd they in defense. 92nd. Okay, so yeah, the numbers I, I looked at from the other day are just about the same. So yeah, so you tell me where the issue lies, right? It, it lies on the defensive end primarily, and everybody has. Most fans are screaming about the offense. It's 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 wonky at times. It's goofy looking yeah. at times. It's what's wondering what the hell they're doing at times. But the numbers don't back that up. The, the offense has always had it's it's issues, and it's always had the the years where it's like, oh, they can't shoot. And don't get me wrong, there is. There yes. is problems with the offense. Yes. Like when they get in a moment where you need to have a good possession and execute something, they do have some possessions where you're just like, what the hell are they doing out here? They can't run anything. It, it, terrible ball movement. Guys just making dumb plays. So I don't like the offense either, but Kentucky's always been able, been able to score off of playing great defense, using their athletes, getting out. And right now they don't have that. They can't get stops. They can't get out in transition, use their defense to, to spur their offense. So um, it's just a different team right now that, that Cal has. And part of it too, that we're just not saying enough is their guards aren't good. They don't have as talented guards as they usually do. Case right. Wallace is very talented. They need to figure out a way to make him the focal point, I think, but the guards are not winners. That's their biggest issue right now. Yeah, I agree. I think that's well said. I do like Cal's underneath out of bounds play. You know what it's called? What's that? Get it in. I mean, honestly, do, do they one. want anything to score underneath out of bounds ever? I don't think so. I think their okay. their goal is to not turn it over. Yeah, get it in. Let's get it in. Uh, a couple of quick hitters I wanted to get to, Skinny. The fan holding up the sign that said, please leave for Texas. He gets kicked out of the game. Uh, they were kind of like being real weird about it. The blue coats down there were were escorting him out and all of that. Bad luck for Kentucky to do that, or do you think it's it, right? It, it is, but there, there's another side that I've heard to that story as well, that that he was, he was holding the sign up and the fans around him couldn't see the game. And he was asked a couple of different times, you didn't have a choice, put the sign down or you can leave. And he did it a couple of more times. And finally, they said, we've, we've, we, there's no choice. And it did look bad. Everything about it looked bad. But if that's the case, 
I mean, the, the fans around him may not even mind the sign, but listen, I paid pretty good money for this seat because they were down in those lower seats. Right. I, I want to see the game. I mean, maybe you didn't because it was so badly played, but yeah, I don't want... I, I'm, I'm one of those guys at, at, at games when everybody stands up, it pisses me off because they're like, ah, oh, crap, now I got to stand. What, what, what do we have the seats for? What, what is standing? I never what does standing do? But anyway, from what I understand, that the guy was honestly, he was, he was, he was bothering those around him uh, from being able to see because of the sign. If, if that's the case, then I completely agree. I would assume the guy would have a little more sense than that to maybe lift it up during timeout. Or, or maybe he wanted that look, and, and that's possible too, of being escorted out. Yeah, that, that's possible. But either way, uh, not great, and it certainly turned into its own little story. Sure did. <laughs> um, where, it, just if if this were to happen, if Kentucky were to go to Texas, or uh, Cal were to uh, Kentucky, if Cal were to go to Texas, or Cal were to to step down for some reason this year, where are the first names? I mean, we talked about we talk this about kind it, of yeah. from an unrealistic perspective, talking about you know Brad Stevens or Billy Donovan or the names I, that Kentucky I fans would want. I don't think Billy Donovan's unrealistic. I don't. I just don't think he's leaving the NBA for this right now. But that's possible. But I don't. But I don't think it's unrealistic. There's a big difference between oh, I don't think he's going to leave and unrealistic. Okay, fair enough. But either way, give me some like actual college names that come to mind when you think about if Kentucky uh, were to look, who would the, who would you throw out there? The must bus would be in, in, in must bus in, inside your own league. The must bus and Nate Nate Oates. Yeah, I think those are probably the top two. Um, it it's tough to to figure out how interested those guys would be in leaving for a job within the same conference. Yes, you can make a couple more million a year, uh, but you know a, a lot more pressure comes with that no too. Question. No question. And but they're in a really good spot co- already. Some of those coaches are wired so much that they want that challenge. Yeah, I could see Musselman being one of those guys. I could see Musselman being one of those guys. Yes. Um. Okay, here's a couple names that I like that are from out of the the SEC. Okay, what about Mick Cronin? It's an interesting one for me. Uh, I, I I don't know how Mick would hold up to that pressure. To be quite frank, I, I think I, it'd I be mean, a bad fit in terms of the the outside stuff that comes. I, with I will say this: whatever people, the dude's a great basketball coach. He's I mean he's he's really good, and he's proven it every stop along the way. Well, and you know something, Kentucky fans might really like is his. No nonsense, fake toughness, defensive, short man syndrome thing that he does. Like that might play well with Kentucky fans yeah, right no, now. The right, hardo right. thing after I mean, hearing listen, the Kentucky, listen, the, the Cal, we're, we're NBA factory. We just want to get these kids to the league. They might like hearing a guy who talks like Cronin does. No, I think they would too. I, um, you know, he's, he's you know gets him back closer to home. Uh, he, he loves, loves horse racing. racing. Yeah, he loves. <laughs> I mean, it, it. I mean, the fit. Honestly, I don't know if it'd be, I, a natural is not the right word because it is such a meat grinder of a of a of a place to be. Yeah, the publicity perspective, like him going down to the the local um, Jim's Flapjacks and eating with the people from Cynthiana or whatever. I can't really see Mick doing that stuff. Well, I don't see I don't see Cal doing that. Well, he was great at that when he got the job. He's so good at making the local yokels with no teeth feel like he cares about them. That's his superpower, or at least it was when he took it. It was. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, here's another one. And this uh, a buddy brought this up to me, and he, he brought up the point that Scott Drew really hasn't gotten much of a raise at Baylor with what he's done. He's only making about three and a half million right now, I believe. Um, and things, you know, the last couple of years, all of a sudden it's 
I wouldn't say they're on a downward trend, but this year hasn't gone as well. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're on a downward trend when you come off of a national championship and then don't, don't, you know, exactly. You are on a downward trend, right or wrong. You, you knew, you knew things were going to take a dip, sure. but you, but you are a little bit removed from it now. And it's not like you, uh, you were in the middle of building a dynasty. You know what I mean? Things have definitely taken a little bit of a dip again and you kind of got to, you got to get it going. Is it possible that maybe Scott Drew would be willing to, to leave? Because I think, it, when you talk about top names in college basketball right now, he's one that always comes up. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I, I think that's a great name. You know, so those are, I guess, those are some of the ones that that I've liked: uh, Musselman, Oates, Cronin, Drew. Uh, there, there are a few others out there that I've, I've, I had, I've had in conversations that I think could be interesting. But I, I know I've heard Chris Holtman. I know I've heard Chris Holtman's name thrown around. I just don't know if there's enough. There's I think enough. Chris Holtman would really want the job from what oh, I, I do too, but I, I just I don't, don't understand compli- that. Why I, I don't think he's accomplished him. enough, Rick. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't think Kentucky would want him. Yeah, no. Um, all right. Finally, skinny. What's the most likely scenario for how this plays out? Do you think it's just, we get through the season and, and it's kind of ugly, but not, not that bad. And then you move on. I think you're, you mentioned he is so stubborn that I think no matter how this turns out, even if it turns out that this team doesn't finish above 500, and maybe it does claw its way to the NCAA tournament and somehow gets in as an 11th seed and, and, and wins a game or two and shocks the world to some degree, I guess. But yeah, I think he's stubborn enough to say, I'm going to see that recruiting class next year through. Yeah. And I think and I'm going to do an it, and I'm going to do it. To... I'm going to do it my way and show you people I can do it my way. With 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 my guys and not out of the transfer portal. You guys begged me to go to the transfer portal and I did and it's bombed. Yeah, well, maybe that's maybe that'll be his new thing. I mean, maybe he'll come back with a piss and vinegar approach and be like, "See, I was right all along. We're going to do it my way. We're not going to make free throws. We're not going to be able to shoot threes and we're just going to have talented freshmen and and we'll get to the tournament that way." Yeah, no, I I I do I do think that. I honestly I honestly believe that. We will see, but that's that seems to be the consensus that I've heard talking to other coaches and and some people around the industry is that they think that that recruiting class and the buyout is just going to be too much for anything to realistically happen this year. Agreed. But no one's ruling it out either. That's the interesting part to me. No one's ruling it out, and they all think it's an interesting conversation. So we will keep an eye on it. All right, Skinny, let's get to the national championship game that happened on Monday night, which. There's not really a lot to talk about. Georgia beat TCU 65-7, to one of the worst big sporting events we've had in the history of sports. Uh, I get, Skinny, is there anything you can do to ensure that that doesn't happen again? No. I, I, I know that's what people now are talking about. Boy, the 12-team playoff, we're going to have some really bad – you probably are at some point along the way, but no. Well, um, the expanded playoff helped get you to a better championship game? I, I, I think it will because if this was an expanded playoff and TCU had beaten Michigan in, in round one, let's say, um, and maybe they wouldn't have matched up because they would have been higher seeds. But there's always an upset capability. I just don't think teams that, that aren't as good as some of the powers can do that multiple times. And so right. I think that gets weeded out before you get to a championship game. I really do. That was kind of my take on it too. I mean, yeah, there, yeah, it's possible you get a Cinderella run, but in football, that seems a lot harder. And to yes. do it three or four times just seems unlikely to me. So I, I, I think it will help us get to better championship games. Now it will lead to more 
blowouts in the playoffs, obviously, but I don't think that's that big of a deal. I don't either. Uh, Uh, Yeah, I don't either. One of the conversations that has come out of this is that, you know, the SEC is just so heads and far heads and shoulders above everybody else that it should just be basically SEC playing SEC at this point at the championship. Is it wrong to feel that way? No. Is it banned to win an SEC versus SEC championship? I mean this honestly. If if Will Levis was healthy and Chris Rodriguez was in your lineup, I would love for Kentucky to play TCU. I I, I think it'd be if they played 10 times, they'd probably each win five. And that'll tell you where I think the SEC is compared to the rest. I think that's right. I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to say at all. I think they would probably split or maybe it would be like six and four worst case right. scenario for sure. Kentucky. Right. Correct. Correct. And and that's where they are. That's where I guarantee you, Nick Saban's looking back on, I'd have beaten all your asses and you know it. And you, you're lucky I wasn't in it. Other than oh, he, he was totally putting off those vibes during the studio stuff he was doing at sure. halftime and postgame. And he's right. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, it sucks. Like, and it does. Granted, we we've had those great games like um, you know, Clemson playing LSU in the Joe Burrow year. Well, well the oh. semifinal, yeah, the semifinal. Uh, Ohio, State, Ohio State Georgia State. was great. Sure. So it's like, I, it's not like I don't want to see some of these other teams, and I do think it becomes less fun if you have, if you don't have those other conferences in the mix. But if you really want to find the best football game. More often than not, it's going to be two SEC teams going at it. Probably. Well, and that's that's where the expanded playoffs, you're probably going to wind up getting three SEC teams into that on a yearly basis. And by the time it weeds itself out, you're going to have a lot of SEC versus SEC championship games. You just are. How do you view Kirby Smart at this point, Skinny? Is he the best coach in college football now? Is it he's, him and Nick Saban at the top? Is he still trying to catch Saban? How do you view that? Yeah, he's still 1A to me. What Nick Saban has built over a lengthy period of time. Listen, the one thing Kirby Smart has done to us is Mark Richt had really good Georgia teams and just could never win that big game that would get him over the hump. Kirby Smart has done that. And he's, he's listen, the pipeline recruiting-wise, is he's kept it extremely full. It's insane. You know, it's hard. It's hard to win back-to-back years, Rick, and it's even harder when you lost all the dudes they lost to the NFL. That tells me the pipeline was pretty well stacked, and it's probably going to be stacked for a long time to come. Well, it's a joke. You could just see that in the championship game. The level of athletes that Georgia had compared to TCU, the size, the physicality, the speed, it wasn't close. And the funny thing is, if you brought in Georgia's second string to start the game, I'm not so sure the result's all that different. I mean, it's closer, but it's like, I mean, I think Georgia's second string probably puts up 35, 40 points on them. I mean, dude, Ken- Kendall Milton's going to play on Sundays probably for a long time as a running back, and he gets 10 carries a game. It's absurd. The amount of talent they have is absolutely absurd. Skinny, one final question here. Is Georgia a dynasty at this point? Would would you go to that level with them? Um, I... I- I, I guess you have to always have the criteria of what do we consider a period of time for dynasty, right? Like Alabama is a dynasty because year in and year out, they're literally always in the conversation in, in the Nick Saban era over the last two decades. Georgia's always been considered upper echelon, um, but they've taken that now, that now next step. And will it peter out after this year? Probably not. But I, I do think you have to have, be in the conversation for a couple of more years for that probably dynasty talk to, to be in. But listen, nobody's done the back-to-back before, and that shows you how hard it is. 
And they've done it. So they, they're, they're closing in on, I guess, the dynasty status. If you want to say for the last five years, whatever time period, I guess, is, is, is how you'd have to define that, in my opinion. Yeah, I think for me, though, you, you're going to have to win another championship with, like, at least a different quarterback. You know, and then not because yes, Stetson yeah. Bennett was yeah, so damn good, but right. just like when you have the same quarterback for both your championships that you're talking about as part of your dynasty, it's like, well, it seems like you really just had a good team or a really yeah, good stretch, that, right? That, that's probably right. Yeah, and, that's probably and, right. And you can throw in the 2018 lost Alabama in the championship game that year where they, you know, they were beating them at halftime and then Tua comes in and, and Bama comes back and wins that game. You can throw that in there as part of, they. well, they've been in the conversation and they've had multiple teams that have done this, but uh, I think you need one more championship win within the next three or four years to really yep. say that Georgia was a dynasty. Yeah, I think that's right. Probably right. Yeah. All right. Let's get into our betting picks. We've only got one game this week. We had two last week. I was three and one. You were two and two because you had one of the worst picks in the history of sports by taking TCU. I really did. I really, really did. Well, I you weren't alone. I, you weren't alone in that, by the way. I went over to uh, Belterra, uh, just across the river there by Riverbend, and they have a new little FanDuel sports book. Yep. That they've they've put in, and it, it's small, but it was a nice little spot to watch the game. And there were a lot of people inside of there that had TCU tickets. Did, did I hear? Because I know you occasionally live bet. I don't know if you live bet that game or not. But somebody said that the last line of Georgia was the last live line was Georgia like thirty eight and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I actually would have covered. I actually tried to live bet TCU when it got to uh plus 28 early in the first quarter. Ooh. Ooh. I was really excited about it getting 28 and I go, yeah, I think they're going to get blown out, but four touchdowns in a championship game. Ooh. So I actually did uh, get a little taste on TCU at plus 28 and uh, that, that didn't work out. So yeah, I, I it, it cut one. into my winnings on Georgia minus 13 and a half in the over. Well, I wisely I burned one of my fifty dollars bet MGM free bets on on a on a parlay t- TCU plus fourteen and a half in the over. So um, I at least feel good that I didn't invest uh, my money into it. I invested a free bet into it. I mean, I just thought it was the perfect middle opportunity. Thirteen and a half and twenty eight seems yeah. like a really yeah, no, good right. spot for a championship sure. game. Sure. All right, uh, let's get into our pick for this week. You've got Ravens at Bengals Sunday night football wild card playoff game. Bengals are an eight and a half point favorite Ravens or excuse me. The total is 40 and a half. Yeah. And I, I that line, I think open at six and a half um, when it opened. And obviously the Lamar news has probably nudged that up. And I probably am going to guess it's going to get nudged up more. I mean, the regular season line ended up this past week and I believe nine and a half, which even though the, you know, there was a lot of hand wringing over the way the Bengals played, they still covered the nine and a half. Um, and I think they do the same thing here. I, I think it's kind of a similar game to this past week. It's going to look ugly at times. Joe Burrow's going to make a couple good throws. He's going to do do Joe Burrow things at times. Um, and the defense will probably come up with a turnover too. They did this in the playoffs last year. They're on a run of six straight games with a turnover. Eleven takeaways in the last five games. They are they are taking the ball away from teams. Um, they got a couple of gifts from the from Brown on from Anthony Brown on uh, on Sunday, but they also had. The, the late takeaway on the reception where they stripped it from the receiver. I think they're just, they're really, they got a great knack for that. So I'll go, I'll go Bengals 27, 13. I think that was my prediction last week. I'll go 27, 12. Cause I'm going to go slightly under the total. So I'll go Bengals 27 to 12. <laughs> That's funny. My, my, my pick, I already had it typed out here. 28, 13. Okay. Was, there you go. Was so you're going just too. over. I'm going just under. Yeah. And actually I, I did want to make that point that the Bengals have been an under team 
most of the season and certainly for the last eight weeks or so, constantly hitting unders. The defense has been so good. But this is one where at 40 and a half, it's getting so low. It's hard for me to picture the Bengals having less than 25 points in this well, game. Well, now the only thing, the only caveat I'll give you is the offense only accounted for 20 of the 27 on Sunday. Fair, but I don't think that, I mean, Joe Burrow was bad in that game, and I don't think that was their typical performance. Fair. I, I, I actually think there's a better chance that this game is a blowout and the Bengals win like 35 to 10 than I do that the Ravens win. I, I, I kind of tend to agree with that. I could see it being a total ass kicking. So I'm actually going to lean over in this game just because it's gotten so low at 40 and a half that, I mean, I, th- I think the Bengals could easily be at 28, 35 by themselves. Yeah. All right, let's get in some ask any anything to wrap this show up. All right, fire away. We'll start with some sports questions. Uh, th- the question says rank these, and I don't know if it's, uh, I assume it's your confidence le- level in them. Okay. So, um, Bengals down two with two seconds left in the game and 50-yard field goal attempt. Okay. Bengals down four with the ball on their own 20 and two minutes left. Okay. Bengals up four. Ravens have the ball at their own 20 with two minutes left. Those are good. I like the scenario. That's a great question. I'm going to go 50-yard field goal because I'm in scoring position to win it. Um. I know that's going to sound like I don't have as much confidence in Burrow. I'll put that second. I'll put the the stop, the defensive stop third, because I watched Lamar do that to them and 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 drive them down the field. Now again, this is probably going to be a Lamarless game, but I'll, I'll go the fifty. I I have a lot of confidence in Evan McPherson. I agree. I think it's exactly as I read them. Is I think the way I would list them. That's a great question. I love the question though. That's what that's one of my honestly. I don't know who that person is. I haven't seen the question yet. I haven't been on Twitter today, so I honestly don't. I try not to know these questions ahead of time. I really don't want to know them ahead of time. Uh, whoever, that's a good one. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, let's see. I we'll, we'll give that person a shout out. It was Dan, our guy Dan. I don't know if he wants me to read his last name, but our guy Dan. Thanks. Dan. All right. No, that was great. That was a great question. Yeah. All right. Uh, Skinny, your ghost gets to hunt one sports arena. Where are you parking it? Oh, that's a good one. Well, I may park it in Cal's office at the moment to get him to to, to, to be afraid of it and leave. I'm um, not sure if he's – I, I think he's too stubborn. I think he would stick it out. He would, so stick, you, it you out. To... He would, he would stick it out against the ghost. Um, man, that's that's a tough one. Because I'm, I'm – honestly, I'm just one of those goofy people. I, I'm not anti – really any team. So I think I, you'd want to haunt, like I know for Xavier fans, they'd want to haunt fifth third and for UC fans, they'd want to haunt Cintas center. I oh, see. Really that's ha- not how I took this at all. I totally oh. took it as I'd want to be stuck at the place where I'd want to watch games for the rest of my eternity. Oh, is it okay? If that's the case, that's how I took it. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just, that's no. when I read it though. My initial thought was, Oh, I've, oh, like, I've already told then, Lindsay, then, if, it, if I die early, see if you can sprinkle some of my ashes over at uh BB and T or truest arena over at this would, still, this would still be easy for me. Cause it's the Mecca It would be the garden. Oh yeah. That would be good. Think of all the big events too. You get to yes. see if you're haunting. Yes. You get concerts, yes. you get comedians, yeah. and it's always the best of the best. Like that's yes. the, the spot you want to play. Yeah, no, Ooh, I, that's I, a really good call. Yeah, yeah, and by the garden for those who maybe don't know, it's Madison Square Garden. So yes, is that indoor? What the, the Madison Square Garden? Yeah, that's <laughs> one of my favorite questions I ever got when uh, Xavier first 
played there when they moved to the Big East. I won't name which Xavier player asked that question. That's but, so good. That is so good. He believes the garden might be outside, which like, I guess like the original garden. Madison Square Garden was technically. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, Skinny, if you at your physical peak were the quarterback of this Georgia team, how many games do you think you could have won? Um, honestly, I think Georgia could go undefeated just handing the ball off. <laughs> I'm serious. And listen, you, I, I could, I could get out on a bootleg and probably throw a couple. I think we'd go undefeated. I had no doubt you were going to say that. <laughs> I do. I, uh, I think realistically, they still could have won six games with me at quarterback. I, I think I'd go undefeated. I, listen, I, I'd make sure I don't turn it over, um, and I'd just say we're going to run it seventy-two times and let the defense. We're going to win a lot of games, thirteen to three, but it is what it is. All right, time to get into some nonsense. We've only got a couple of these this time, believe it or not. How many tablespoons of mayo could you eat if your life depended on it, Skinny? Uh, maybe one. I do like mayo on a couple of sandwiches, and I do obviously mix it in for like a tuna salad, but mayo by itself to me is gross. Here's the thing. All you got to do is put a little piece of tape over the label there, write aioli on it, and now I could eat it all day. <laughs> I know some people do just eat a spoonful here and there of mayo. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Correct. Yeah. That, now, that being that, said, I like I like mayo. Okay. I do too. That's, like I said, I like it on certain sandwiches. I, I, I'm a big tuna salad fan. I make I love making tuna salad um, and, and makes a pretty good generous portion of mayo in it. But, but if your I, life depended on it, like I'm saying this, you got, you'll have to get a couple of jars. I mean, I'm not going to stop. If, if if I die, if I stop, I mean, like, I think I'm getting through a couple I, of jars at least. I, I think if you got through one jar, you'd, you'd explode. Well, it's possible. Uh, that, that bowl game, the Duke's Mayo bowl game where they dumped the, the mayo. Oh, that would be so gross. Disgusting. They dump the mayo on the coach. Oh, disgusting. I mean, yeah. I think the Gatorade baths are awful. So yeah. Sticky. If it's yeah, not water, it's you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, agreed. It's unfair to your coach. All right, Skinny, we'll wrap it up with this. And I, I actually want to get your opinion on this, too. Um, someone asked, what was your opinion on the Enquire versus Jay Morrison versus Mike Dardis versus C. Trent Rosecrans spat on Twitter? Well, I, I will say this as somebody who on our website, I occasionally will aggregate some things myself. Um, I, I do, and I, and I do this intentionally because I, I don't like people stealing other people's stuff. Um, I will definitively tell you where the report came from. Uh, make sure I link to that report. A lot of times I'll even use in the headline reportedly in the headline because sometimes if the report's wrong, I can just simply go back and go, Hey, all we said was reportedly. Um, most of the time when we're doing it, it's a, it's a, NFL free agent transaction that, that the nat, the three national guys who do all that stuff break. So, you know, th- those guys get hyperlinked a lot. And so for Jay, I do know, cause I talked to him after the game. Um, he basically talked to every defensive player to get their opinion on the, the whole uh, situation with being dirty or not. Uh, and by, and some other things too. So yeah. Oh, to be I, real quick, to be clear, what we're talking about is the Enquirer put out an article where they had aggregated some content from the Athletic, and they just used a quote to to promote it, and which was attributed where it was from. Yeah, it was from Cam Taylor Britt, but it was one Jay Morrison had gotten, and it was right, where by he, himself, by right, himself, cussing and and stuff like that. It was a really good quote, and so the Enquirer used that to promote their article. Said nothing about you know, where they got it or anything like that. So Jay, Jay commented, where'd you get this quote? Cause I was the only one who talked to him. 
and listen, Jay, I sit next to Jay every day in the, in the media workroom. There's no better guy. And he and Paul Daner sit to my right. We joke around all the time. He's a very easygoing guy. Great guy. Um, enjoy his company in that workroom. Uh, admire his work ethic and all of those things. And for Jay to go to that, that measure, um, I understand it. He, he had a quote stolen from him that he got that, that wasn't attributed back to him. And I, I get that frustration from him. So, yeah, I, I fully get it. Um, I think the inquire aggregator simply thought it was the typical collective that were talking to him and it was okay to do that. Well, lesson learned. Now, the other stuff that went on top of that was almost comedic just to sit back and watch. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I have to ask you about one specific comment that was made. Um, so what happened over over the course of the night on Twitter after Jay Morrison chirped the Enquirer, um, was Mike Dardis, who works for another station, said a, yep. a true sports drama on our hands, dot, dot, dot. To which C. Trent Rosecrans chimes in, or, you know, journalistic ethics and standards, which those of us in the industry take seriously. And then it and, escalated from there. Yeah. And I've got to ask you about this comment. Mike says, yes, was not taking a shot at journalism or the importance of it. After all, my father helped break Watergate. Little little, little silent flex there, right? Uh, I'm sorry. What? Yeah. <laughs> that, was what? It. That, that was the time to flex, I guess. <laughs> How did we get to that point of the conversation? I, I and also, can we get some more context on that? Yeah. <laughs> what exactly was his father's role in breaking Watergate that he didn't get credit for? I, I don't know the answer to that. Unless the, the, was it was his father Carl Bernstein or Bob Woodward? He was deep throat. Well, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. I guess that's a possibility. I mean, what is going on here? Just yeah, that. That's why I I, I, I I try to stay out of all that stuff. I Again, I go back to I do not blame Jay whatsoever. And again, it, it, it really irked him to have him go to that measure. And I get it. I, I fully get it. Um, That's what's so annoying about all of and it's not just local, but we're in the local media. So I notice our local places doing it is like instead of everyone going out and trying to do good original content, they all sit there and they watch what each other are doing. And the second yep. someone else has something that they don't have, they immediately do a worse job of following up and trying to do the same story. It's like, why don't you just go do something else that's interesting well, and good too? Well, the, the, the thing that, that was that the Enquirer took was some comments from John Harbaugh um, clapping back about the dirty play and all that stuff that Cam Taylor Britt alluded to. I just don't know why it was that hard in the first place to attribute exactly where you got that quote from. Sure. If that, yeah, if that's what you're going to do. That's good too. But I mean, for, I'm just talking about from like a concern. And this is why I hated doing the, the NFL locker room stuff. Like I hate oh, yeah, the Bengals beat. I hate it with a passion because everyone's writing the same thing and there's so yep. many people doing it. And it's like, you yep. only get a handful of quotes. And I, I get why Jay's pissed off. Cause like you very rarely get a quote. That's just your own quote where no one else had it because usually it is a locker room scrum or a press conference where 25 people are getting the same quote. So when you finally get something that's good and it's unique, you want to have that to yourself. The inquirer is just throwing it out there. Like it was theirs. I, I totally get where he's coming from, but it's just honestly annoying that that's how everybody goes about doing well, their content. Anyways, this, no, this wasn't injury news that you had to get out there. It was a story that he wrote with unique quotes why don't you go write your own story with it, uh, unique quotes? Or or I go back to, you can use the uniqueness of what John Harbaugh said, because we do get transcripts during the week from the Ravens. Yeah, but this um, was the Cam Taylor Brick quote that he used. Yes, no, no. My yeah. point is he was he was, he, he was writing a story around John Harbaugh's reaction to the Cam right. Taylor Brick stuff. And so the, 
again, I go back to, okay, that's fine. You got some original stuff from that. You can put that in there. I've done this before. Trust me. I, this is some of the things I do in, in addition to writing original, original stuff is then you just attribute said Cam, Cam Tillerbrick told the athletic and then hyperlink to the athletic story. It's really not that hard. It shouldn't be that hard. Mike Dardis. <laughs> Watergate. I mean, this man is just posting selfies in the same quarter zip day after day after day. And meanwhile, his father is breaking Watergate. Breaking Watergate. Oy vey. That's all I can say. All right. I appreciate the questions as always. Keep them coming. We will be back uh, Sunday night. Actually, technically Monday morning. We'll drop the Bengals postgame podcast after the Bengals take on the Ravens on Sunday night in the first round of the playoffs. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. <laughs>